Well, good morning. You know, when I when I hear that story, one of the first things that pops pops into mind is a movie. You know what movie I'm talking about? Shrek, right? The Talking Donkey. Kind of kind of like, whoa, what in the world? It's, it was it was before Shrek. There was the Talking Donkey in Numbers 22. Uh, you know, it's a great movie with all sorts of fun characters. I mean, you've got. Um, You've got Shrek the ogre, you've got Fiona who's a princess who turns out to be ogre, you've got Puss in Boots, you've got the fairy godmother, all sorts of people, and then you have the donkey, the flying, talking donkey. So today we're, we're, we're continuing our summer sermon series called the Summer Vacation, and what we've been doing is, over the course of the past several weeks, pulling out stories from Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, where, where we see uh, one of God's people or a group of people going on a journey. Sometimes it's a long journey, sometimes it's a very short one, but they go on a journey, and in the course of that journey, God reveals to them himself. He reveals something about himself. And, and what we're doing is looking at that, even though it happened, those, these stories happened thousands of years ago, we look at these and we think, how can we apply this to the 21st century? And the good news is that God's word is timeless, it's always relevant, it's true, it's life, it's spirit. And so the, the truth from these stories are applicable to us today. And what we've done is we've looked at stories like Moses and the people of Israel when they're trapped at the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's armies are coming down on them. There's no way out, it seems, but God provides a way and they make their way through. We've looked at stories like Samson and Delilah, Samson, the strongest man who makes a short journey to the dark side. He travels down to, to, to the Philistine people and he has an attraction for Philistine women. He gets himself into trouble. He falls. And but eventually at the end of his life, there's redemption. And God provides a way for him. We looked at, uh, Pastor West looked at uh, Paul on the road to Damascus and his encounter with Christ and Ananias. And a few weeks ago, we looked at a really unusual story where Jesus uh, meets a demon-possessed man and there's a crowd of 2,000 pigs and all sorts of crazy things happen. Today's story kind of rivals that story for the unusual nature of it because we find Balaam who's sort of a spiritual advisor, prophet for hire. Uh, we can see from earlier in the chapter, he's not an Israelite. He's a native of the land. Uh, we see uh, Balak, this, this, this king of a foreign land. We see this angel, and we have a talking donkey. So I'm going to encourage you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles again to Numbers 22. And uh, or you can follow along on the screen. We'll be looking at several verses here. But before we jump into the, the heart of the passage that was just read, let's kind of set the context and talk about what's just come before this. So God has just delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And now they're positioned on the banks of the Jordan River and they're looking across the river. There's Jericho. There's the promised land. And they're about ready to move in and to claim the promise that God has promised them. And this king named Balak, who is king of Moab, which was a neighboring country, he's heard in the news about the people of Israel and their great God and how he how they defeated several armies and people and how he's delivered them through miraculous means. And he's scared to death because he knows and he thinks we're next. And he, he thinks he knows he's overmatched. And so he does one thing. He what can I do? He turns to the supernatural he tries to hire somebody to put a curse on Israel. Maybe he can stop them that way, he thinks. Look at verse 5 of chapter 22. This is Balak talking. A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. 
Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. And he's talking to Balaam. So we can see from those last words, those you bless are blessed, those you curse are cursed. He's got a reputation of being a guy who can deliver on his promises, you know, as a spiritual kind of mercenary, an opportunist. He's a medium who doles out blessings and curses and and spiritual advice for a fee. Okay, this is his job, his vocation. We can see this from verse seven. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination, spiritual advice. When they get to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Now, to Balaam's credit, after consulting with God, he turns the offer down because God tells him to do so. We see this in verse 12. Do not go with them, God says. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. But Balak, as a king, is not used to hearing the word no. Okay, so he sends back a second group of men. This time he sweetens the pot. And Balaam answers this way in verse 18. Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord would tell me. And God's answer comes in verse 20. Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So now we pick up the story where it gets really interesting in verses 21 through 35. And we see Balaam and, and then the Lord is involved and there's an angel with a drawn sword and a talking donkey. Now, other than the fact that there's a talking donkey in this passage, what else strikes you as strange in the story? Well, for me, at first blush, it appears that Balaam is getting in trouble with God for doing something he's been given permission to do. I mean, verse 22 states that because Balaam was going, God was very angry and he sent an angel with a sword to stop him. But didn't God just tell him in verse 20, go with them? Why should Balaam be scolded for doing something and going somewhere that God gave him permission to do? I mean, maybe it might be a scenario sort of like if you you're married and you ask your spouse if you can do something and they say, sure. And you do it and you get in trouble for doing that. Anybody ever have that experience? Not, not me. Or maybe, you're, or maybe you're a child and you ask your parent, can I do this? And they give you permission, but you get in trouble for doing it. What exactly is going on here? Balaam asked for God's guidance. Can I go? God says, go with them, but only do what I tell you. You received it, he acts upon it, and now God is opposing. What gives? Well, as Paul Harvey says, now for the rest of the story. Once Balaam reaches King Balak three separate times, instead of cursing Israel, he blesses them. And three times he says, did I not tell you I must do whatever the Lord says? So far, so good, right? So why did God send an angel to stop Balaam after he gave him permission to go? Well, it's always good when there's a seeming contradiction in a story of scripture or between verses. It's always good to look through other parts of the scripture because what you'll usually find is there's an explanation or at the very least there'll be something that'll help you begin to to reconcile it and to understand what's going on and so it is with the story of Balaam and the talking donkey because in chapter 25 just a little bit farther down we see something that's a curious development the men of Israel it says begin to consort and get involved with the women of Moab 
And in the process, their influence, instead of being the influencers, they're influenced in a negative way. They begin to make sacrifices to Baal, which was the, the false god of the Moabites, and they begin to worship Baal. And it says because of this, there are consequences. There, a plague comes in the land and thousands of Israelites die. The culprit, the mastermind behind this plan is Balaam. It tells us this in chapter 31, verses 15 and 16, where Moses says to the people of Israel, Have you allowed all the women of Moab to live? They were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord so that a plague struck the Lord's people. And just before those verses, we see that the people of Moab and people of Israel are fighting. There's a battle going and we see that Balaam is fighting with the Moabites against the Israelites and he ends up getting killed. So Balaam's true colors were exposed. He was not loyal to God. He was not kindly disposed toward God's people. At some point, apparently, he sold advice to the Moabites. You want to trip up these Israelites? You want to make them weak? This is what you need to do. And they followed the advice. And the end result was that eventually a plague came through and some Israelites died. Again, we see this confirmed in 2 Peter 2, 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to fall the way of Balaam, son of Peor, who loved the wages of wickedness. The wages. He got paid for giving them spiritual advice that would hurt the people of Israel, that would go against what God's will was. Revelation 2.14. You have people there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. So, that explains that. But what lessons can we take from this story that we can apply to our lives as we journey through life following Jesus Christ? First, if we want to see and know God's will and guidance in our life, we must pursue his direct will, his clearly stated will, not his permissive will. Let me explain. God very clearly told Balaam, the first time to not go and see Balak because Balak was an enemy of Israel. And yet when these men come back a second time and bring more rewards, instead of rejecting the offer and sending them on their way, Balaam says, spend some time here. I'm going to go back to God and, and see if he's changes his mind and ask him if I can go. J. Vernon McGee, a Christian scholar, writes this. So there are certain things that you can keep nagging God about that he'll permit you to do, but you'll dry up spiritually. Do you want God's permissive will, what he allows, or do you want his direct will? Do you want him to give you every one of your prayer requests, or do you really want him to have his way? Do you want his will to be done, or do you really want God to come over onto your side and do what you want done? And then he concludes, the interesting thing is that there are times when he will do just that. You know, God has created us in his image, which means we have free will. And God will not force us to do his will. He will not violate that in our lives. But when we choose to ignore the signs and choose to ignore what God has already clearly told us, we do so at our own peril. When we, when we pray, do we pray with an openness to what God wants, or do we pray only willing to accept what we think the answer should be. When we make decisions, do we seek what God's will is, or do we push forward thinking that if God doesn't slam the door shut, 
then it must be okay. God permits Balaam to go, but he's not happy about it. Just because God allows us to do something and doesn't stop it doesn't mean it's what he wants us to do. Now, a caveat here. Sometimes an appropriate way to find God's will and guidance is to, is to do what they say call throwing out a fleece, to pray with a sincere heart, something like, God, if you want me to move forward on this path, open the door or close the door. And God will answer the sincere prayer of a person who truly wants to know his will, sometimes through that means, but sometimes through other means. Sometimes we have to wait for a while. You know. but, but the fact of the matter is, we know what God's will is for probably 98% of our lives. How to treat people, what to believe in, how to use our money, how to use our time and talents, so on and so forth. There's just a few small areas, really, that we might be a little bit confused about what God's will is. This is a much different scenario than Balaam's actions, who was looking for permission to do what he wanted to do, not what God wanted to do. Which leads us to the second thing we can learn from the story. If we want to see and know God's guidance and will, we must set aside our own agenda. Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Balaam's ultimate agenda was to line his own pockets. Not to serve God, not to do his will, not to know his will. And because of this, he was spiritually blind. I mean, three times God sends an angel to oppose him. Three times he doesn't see it. Three times a a, a donkey, a dumb beast, sees God's messenger and shrinks back from going down the path. Yet Balaam cannot see God's messenger because he's blinded by his own agenda. In fact, this is interesting. His spiritual blinders are so thick, he doesn't even flinch, doesn't even blink when his donkey starts talking to him. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I know if my dog at home started talking to me, it would kind of it'd shake me up a little bit. You know, I might listen to what he has to say. Um, doesn't even doesn't even hear. But God is a God of great mercy and patience, and he displays it here. Verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. You know, sometimes despite our stubbornness and a reluctance to recognize God's guidance, sometimes or stubbornness to pursue our own way, sometimes he'll intervene and make it very clear to us what he wants us to do, but he will not make us do it. Remember the movie uh, Bruce Almighty several years ago, Jim Carrey, the comedy, and you know about partway through the movie he kind of takes on the powers of God and has. You know, but before that, his life is a mess. Remember, you know he he loses his job, he boxes everything up. He's walking to his car, he gets mugged and beat up. Um, he has, things aren't going well with his girlfriend. And he's driving in his car with his boxes and stuff and begins to rain. He's going through construction and he has all sorts of problems with his car. I mean, and, and he's asking, he's mad. He's asking God, why has this happened? Give me a sign. Give me a sign. Remember the movie? All sorts of signs. You know, red arrows pointing up, flashing lights pointing up, all sorts of things like that. But he doesn't see them. He doesn't see them. He doesn't know that God, he doesn't see that God is answering him. God is directing him. You know, Balaam kind of has a similar response. In verse 34, he very coyly says, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. If you're displeased, I'll go back. Let's see. God's first response was a direct no. Now we have a talking donkey and an angel with a sword blocking him in the road three times. And he basically says, 
if you don't want me to go forward, then I won't do it. Kind of a scenario. Think about this. I mean, maybe maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and, and they say, do you think I should do this? Should I get in this relationship? Should I use my money this way? Should you know, whatever. And you're like, you know, I you want my opinion. I really don't think it's a good idea. I, I don't want you to do it. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it'll honor God. And they keep persisting. But I really want to do this. I really think I, I need to do this. I really want to pursue this relationship. I really want to take this job. I really want to use my money this way. And, and eventually at some point you have to say, well, you're, you're a grown-up. You, you can make your own decisions. I'm not going to stop you. And if you want to do that, do it, but I'm not going to stop you. That's, that's, not, that's not approval. That's just simply giving somebody permission that recognizes their free will. It's not approval. It's kind of like us again. We, we can do that in our lives. We can seek a relationship, seek this, seek that. And yet God, we keep asking God. He's not going to stop us because we have free will, but we persist in it. Just because he doesn't stop us doesn't mean that he approves of it. And, and that's what's happening with, with Balaam here. He chooses his own way. God lets him go down the path. And all the time God was trying to get his attention, just like he's trying to get our attention. In the book Character Forged from Conflict, Gary Preston writes this. He says, back when the telegraph was the fastest means of long-distance communication, there was a story, perhaps apocryphal, about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. He answered an ad in the newspaper, went to the address, was listed, and he went into the office. It was, low, it was loud and it was noisy. He arrived and he, in the background there was a telegraph clacking away noisily and and a sign on the receptionist's desk instructed the applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were called into the inner office for the interview. There were seven other men there besides him, and he did what he was told. He sat down, but then after a few minutes, he stood up, walked across the room with his form, and walked into the interview room. And the other seven kind of perked up and said, you know, kind of looking around like, okay, we didn't hear anything. Why, why does he think he gets to cut and go, you know, and they kind of got a little chuckle out of it, thinking, well, he's going to get his. He'll walk in and they're going to they're going to scold him and reprimand him because he's being presumptuous and he'll be dismissed from the opportunity to have this job. But a few minutes later, the young man emerged from the office, escorted by the interviewer who announced to all the other applicants. Thank you for coming, gentlemen. But the job has been filled by this young man. And the other seven began to grumble. And one of them spoke up and said, wait a second, I don't understand something here. Um, he was the last one to come in, but we never even got a chance to be interviewed. But he gets the job. That's not fair. That's not right. And the interviewer said, I'm sorry, but all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph has been ticking out the following message in Morse code. If you understand the message, come in. The job is yours. He says, none of you heard it. None of you understood it. This young man did. So the job is his. You know, every day God is sending us a message as his children, as his people. Every day he sends us signals to guide us, to direct us. He speaks to us through his creation. He speaks to us through the miracle of birth in life. He speaks to us through the, the creative process and the knowledge that we have, the things we can figure out. He speaks to us through other people. He speaks to us through the church. And most powerfully, he speaks to us through his word, through his spirit and his son, Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. God uses many means to speak to us, 
but primarily through his word, his spirit. And, and every day he, has a, he sends us signs and he has a plan and purpose for us for that day, for that week, for that month, for that year, for our life. Every day he wants to guide us in his will. Every day he wants us to open our eyes, to open our ears, to open our minds to his truth. To see what he wants to do in us and through us, but we will never see it clearly. Until we set aside our own agenda. And our preconceived notions of how God is supposed to work. And what we want him to do. And where we and where we want to go. But the good news is that God is not a God of confusion. Like I said, there's like 98 percent. It's very clear. There's a little bit there that we don't always understand. And that's why it's called faith. And sometimes he will reveal it over time. Sometimes he calls us to go deeper and farther. But God is not coy. He's not cryptic. He will answer our prayers. He will guide us and direct us as we seek him with our heart, soul, strength and mind. He will gladly open our eyes. If we will let him. The Apostle Paul says this wonderful verse about what God wants to do for us. First Corinthians two, nine, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word of truth, and we thank you that you have created us to know you, to respond to you. You've created us with free will. You give us the the ability to choose, to obey, or to ignore, to follow, or to go our own way. And Lord, we confess that there are many times when we choose the latter, but we want to be people who choose the former. So, Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see the signs around us. Just open our ears to hear your truth and our hearts to, to sense your spirits leading and our mind to know and understand your word. Do this in us as individuals and as a church. Help us, Lord, to follow you, to persist in doing your good and pleasing and perfect will. We offer ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen.